I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Boy, I missed you guys last week. I, I, so, I so wanted to be here and bring the word to you. And so I just want to give you a heads up. I've had two weeks to look at this text. So you're in for about two hours of teaching today. <laughs> I was thinking, even as I was sitting over there, that this was the first time since 1994 I had missed church on two consecutive Sundays. And even when we would go on vacation, we would find a church and so forth and so on. But I was reflecting upon the last time that I was not able to go to church on consecutive Sundays. In 1994, I was pastoring in Huntington Beach and I had back surgery and my board told me, you are not to come in for a couple of weeks, right? And so the first Sunday, I remember I wouldn't have been able to get out of bed because I had so much of the anesthetic still in me that it was like, that wasn't going to happen. But the next Sunday, I thought, well, you know, maybe I'll just be a rebel and show up. And that was the, if you remember, that 1994 was the uh, Silmar earthquake, amen? And my wife and I, for some reason that we have long since forgotten, my wife and I had a, a waterbed. You know where I'm going with this, right? And, and so I knew there was something very odd when the water in the waterbed began to do this. And I felt like I was at the pier surfing, right? I mean, it was just the, the strangest thing and, the, and the, the fan above the head was going. That, those are not good memories. So I'm grateful to be with you today. Let's open up our Bibles to Psalm 1 and I'm sure you're going to see the, the slide behind me and... Charles Spurgeon, who was arguably the greatest preacher of his day in the 1800s in, in England, Spurgeon got saved at 15 and was preaching to thousands of people at the age of 20. In fact, to show you how times have changed, when Spurgeon was preaching in London at the Metropolitan Tabernacle there, on Monday morning, the, the London Times would have his sermon printed in the newspaper for people to read. Just a brilliant, in fact, he's called the Prince of Preachers. He once said about Psalm 1 that it was the faithful doorkeeper to the entire book. That there was in this wisdom psalm, which is one of the classifications that we have for the psalms, in this wisdom psalm was such great information and such great means of transformation and so I think today as we begin, I'd like to have you, I'll be reading from the New International Version today, and I just want to read it for you, and then we're going to take some time and, and break it open. Psalm 1, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. 
Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Like I said, this is a wisdom psalm. There are other classifications of psalms. Some are messianic, some that talk about Jesus in his first coming. There are others that, if you will, in, in fact, it's Psalm 120 through 134, the pilgrims on the times that they would be traveling to Jerusalem to worship at one of the three conscripted festivals that they needed to attend. Every male over the age of 13 was commanded to attend these festivals at least at least once during the year. And they would, they would sing these psalms as they were cresting the hill before they went into the city of Jerusalem. But this is a wisdom psalm. And it sets before us, if you will, a tale of two people and a tale, if you will, of two destinations and the choices that we make. And if, you, if you're looking for a takeaway today, I'm going to give you two. The first is this. What you delight in is going to give direction to your life. What you take delight in is going to give direction to your life. Matthew in his gospel says this in, in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 21. Where your treasure is, there's your heart also. And the second is this. Whatever it is that gives you delight will provide you discernment. Whatever it is that... that brings you delight, is going to, if you will, provide you with that which you need to make wise choices. I'm going to give you a little heads up now because we're going to actually go to Matthew chapter 7 in a bit and there's no slide for that. 35,000 choices a day the average American makes. Can you just wrap your mind around that for a minute? 35,000 choices or decisions, most of which we make unconsciously, amen? We don't even think about them. But one of the wonderful things about delighting in, in this case, the law of the Lord, is it so informs your life that when you come to that fork in the road, when you come to that need to make decision, having fed yourself on the word of God, the choices become that much easier to make. So let's take a look, if you will, please, at this psalm. And let's take a look at, first of all, verses 1 through 3 again. And it's a tale of two people. Let me read again to you. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, nor stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his day, law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in its season and whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. Have you noticed something there in verse one? Sometimes God describes his choice ones. Sometimes God describes the one who is declared to be righteous. Sometimes God describes the one that is called godly in what they do not do, amen, as opposed to what they do. 
In other words, in verse 1 in the first clause here, oh, the happiness. The word blessed there, by the way, is, is multiplied in the Hebrew. It's the oh, the great happiness of. It's, it's intensified. How blessed is the one who does not walk, does not stand, does not sit. You with me? You and I, I okay, my, my parents grew up in the heartland, and, and I was talking about this earlier with one of the brothers, and my parents grew up in Minnesota, and then they came to California after they got married in 1950. And when I was growing up, I heard all these Midwestern expressions. You know where I'm going with this? Every, every part of our country has some part of their language that if you're visiting that part of the country, you have no idea what they're talking about. They understand, right? For example, here's one that I heard growing up. He doesn't know enough to come out of the snow. And I'm thinking to myself, here I'm this little Southern California boy who's never seen snow in his life, right? What does it mean not to know enough to not come in from the snow? Well, obviously they lacked what? Common sense. Which my mother once said, the problem with common sense is it's not all that common. But here's the one that my brother and I heard all the time. This is the one that we heard all the time. If you lie down with dogs, you'll come up with fleas. How many of you heard that one? All right. If you lie down with dogs, and I'm, I'm just a little guy, right? And I'm thinking to myself, I have no idea what she's talking about at all. None. And then as I got a little older and I began to read the Bible for myself, I stumbled upon 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 33, where it says, bad company corrupts good morals. And I thought, bingo. There is a principle of separation in the Bible, amen? If you look this week at 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through chapter 7 and verse 1, God says, come out from among them and be separate, and I will be a father to you, and I will walk among you. In other words, dear ones, separation from that which is going on around us in the world today is not isolation. We're in the world, but we're not what? of the world. We don't buy into the values, Ephesians chapter 2 says, the values of this age. They are not those that attach themselves to us. But just because we're separated, we're not separated to be isolated from people. We're separated, verse 2 of today's text, to be saturated by the word of God. We're separated to be saturated. And so if you look here, and I'll get to this when we talk about the, the second person, the ungodly, but notice sometimes you and I are defined by what we don't do. What we don't do, verse 1, we don't walk in the counsel of the wicked. We don't stand in the way of sinners. We don't sit in the seat of scoffers. Because that which they are professing and that which they are practicing is that which you and I will do if we listen to it and watch it long enough. Amen? You become like the people you associate with. It's just a truth. It's just a truth. The Bible says in Proverbs 14, leave the presence of the fool or you will not discern words of knowledge. The Bible says in Proverbs 13, if you walk with wise men, you will become what? Wise. 
but the companion of a fool suffers harm. Number one, the righteous man is blessed by God because he avoids evil associations. Number two, he's delighted by the law of God. Read again with me verse two. Whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. As I said to you, the takeaway today, number one takeaway is this. What you delight in directs your life. What it is that you find compelling and attractive is that which you will be drawn to. And that which will begin to frame your life. And here we see the psalmist say, the righteous one is the one who delights in the law of the Lord. Now, to be fair, the law of the Lord there could be, could be the Ten Commandments. It could mean the Torah. It could mean all of the law that the one writing this psalm would have been aware of at the time in which he wrote this. But in, in any event, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And what does he do? He meditates. It's a conscious contemplation of what it is he reads. And it's for the purpose of making ethical decisions and wise choices in being obedient. That is why God gave us the word. Let me tell you a story. In the, in the Second World War, there was a man named General William Harrison. And, and William Harrison, who was saved at the age of 20 at West Point, William Harrison made a commitment when he was saved that he would read the New Testament four times a year and the Old Testament one time a year. And he was second in charge in the European theater during Second World War. So this is a very busy man, amen? amen. This is a man who had every reason sometimes to miss a day of reading. When his eyesight began to fail him at the age of 90, General Harrison had read the New Testament 280 times and read the Old Testament 70 times. Do you think he's an example of someone who delighted himself in the law? And do you think when he opened his mouth that maybe the word of God just came tumbling out? Back to my friend Dr. Spurgeon. Dr. Spurgeon once wrote in one of his sermons that if he were to be cut open, he would that he would bleed Bibline. In other words, here's the word picture, that the pages of God's word would just come what? Just come out. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and he meditates. How many of you, when I, when I was still going back to Orange County once a, once a month for a week at a time, there were times when I when I would get off the 101 and I would finally, well, I'd stay on the 101, but I would, I would finally get to a place where I was on the home stretch, you know, right around Goleta, right? And I, and I, I knew when I was in Goleta that it was an hour until I could pull in my driveway and I'd be home, right? But there were those times when I'd be driving home and I would pull off to the side of the road and I would just watch the cows in the field. Now, I don't know, I'm not a big cow guy, Right? And I'm a Southern California boy. I did not grow up with, with cows. But you ever watched a cow eat? Right? You ever watched a cow eat? What do they do? They chew their food what? Over and over 
and over and over again. That's why your doctor tells you to chew your meat at least 10 times before you swallow it. <laughs> That's not something I'm prone to doing. You know what that, that, that cow is doing, right? It's chewing its what? Cut. It's chewing its cud. You know what meditation is? That's exactly what med- med- meditation is simply taking the text that you read in the morning with you throughout the day. The word meditation means to murmur or to mutter under your breath. Let me tell you how it works for me. I read three different things in the morning when I get up. I read right now, I'm, I'm doing a devotional study in the book of Exodus, and then I'm reading through the Psalms, and then I'm getting ready for my 260 group on Thursday, and I'm reading a chapter in the New Testament. And what I try to draw out from those three different readings is this. What is it, God, that would give focus to my life today? What is it would give direction to my life today? What is it going to prepare my heart to be a living servant of the Most High God today? And I'll take that with me all day long. That's all meditation is. It's just taking the text with you. So we're defined by the people that we choose not to associate with, the values that we choose not to adopt as our own, and delighting in the will of the Lord. And here's the third one, verse 3. That person, that is the one who delights himself in the law of the Lord and meditates upon it day and night, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water. Let's stop right now. How many of you have been to Israel? Any of you been to Israel? All right. Israel is a very arid nation. It's, it's, it's very dry. Much of it is, if you will, desert. But when you came upon a tree in a very arid landscape such as that, it would be something that would draw your what? Would draw your attention because there was not a lot of that in Israel. And that's why that picture is here. By the way, streams of water, the water, water there is reflective not just of that which you and I drink, and by the way, I don't know about you guys, but <laughs> how many of you, seriously, I, and this is not an addendum to today, how many of you are really praying for God to send rain? Would you, would you please, like the numbers with this, please, right? Because the water company is telling me I have to stop watering my lawn every day. <laughs> and, and you could tell my, my, my lawn is needing water because it gets those little brown splotches, right? That's, that's what you would see when you'd go to Israel. You'd see these, these whole areas where there'd be nothing but desert, but then you'd see this tree that was firmly planted by what? Streams of water, which is reflective of not just the Spirit of God, but the Word of God. And he's firmly planted by streams of water. And notice it yields its fruit in season. If you have time this week, look at Psalm 92. For those of us who are over the age of 50. I wish we'd come up with a mandatory age at which you become a senior. Right? Some people think it's 50. You get, you know, coffee at McDonald's. You can get the senior coffee at McDonald's for a dollar and... If you're 49, good luck to you. 50, 55, 60, 65, whenever it is, right? But here's the interesting thing. In Psalm 92, it says that the person who is being mentioned there is an older person who's still flourishing in their old age. They're full of sap. They're still being fruitful. I'm going to suggest to you it's because they're like a tree firmly planted by what? Streams of water. 
And they're still delighting in the word of God. By the way, Caleb, Joshua and Caleb, you remember the story of the two spies that stayed faithful when they were sent into the promised land. Caleb was at the age of 85 when he reminded, he reminded the commander of the Lord's army, when I was in spying out this land, I saw this hill country and I decided I wanted to take that hill country for, for Israel. I wanted to take that from my people. I wanted to take that. And at the age of 85, Caleb was still doing what? Doing great exploits for God doing great exploits. Why? Because he was like a tree firmly planted whose leaf does not what? Wither. It's a picture of growth. This idea that the leaf does not wither means that you and I are charged with the responsibility for the remainder of the time that we have until the Lord comes to take us or we go to be with the Lord Jesus. We are to grow in the grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus. Proverbs 9 says, teach a righteous man and he will be more righteous still. The Bible says, yes, we've been blessed in the heavenlies with every spiritual blessing. I understand that. But it is incumbent upon you and I to continue to read the Bible so we continue to grow in grace and in knowledge. And here's the picture of someone who does that. And by the way, the end of that then is whose leaf does not wither and whatever they do prospers. We're going we're to come back to that. Because I want you to see that the word prosper there goes way beyond anything material. It goes way beyond anything you could ever pull out of a wallet. Now look how verse 4 begins, though. Verse 4 begins by this, Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Now, regardless of the translation you read, interesting to me that verse 1 of Psalm 1 begins with blessed, and verse 6 ends with perish or destruction. There's your, there's your contrast right there. You're going to be blessed because your delight is in the law of the Lord, and what delights you brings direction into your life. But look at the wicked here in verse 4. First of all, they are in a downward spiral of sin. If you will, please, let me read you again verse 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked. The wicked there is the one who is forsaken, the way of the righteous and falls after many different evil ways. And they simply begin by walking. Walking in the Bible is a word that simply means the, the habitual behavior of our life. It is the lifestyle that you and I live. It's picked up in Ephesians. It's the key word in the book of Ephesians. It's used seven times. When the Bible talks about walking, it has the idea of your lifestyle. It has the, the idea of the way in which you're ordering your life. And notice he starts, the, the ungodly one begins simply by walking, if you will, walking among the wicked. Now notice what happens, though. Or stand in the way that sinners take. Sinner there is the word for habitual behavior. It's those 
acts that have come from that person's life that characterize that person. And all of a sudden, I'm no longer just walking among the people in the world, but now I'm standing with them. And when I take a stand with people, typically what that means is I am echoing whatever commitment they've made is now my commitment. And whatever they identify with is what I now identify with. So it's walking and now I'm standing. And then how does it end? I'm sitting, which is a place, a habitual presence. It's a fixed It's a settled state of mind and heart. And I'm sitting now with those who are called mockers or scoffers. Amen? Amen. A few weeks ago, after the tragedy that happened in Uvalde, and I may have been with you the Sunday right after that, I'm not sure, but you saw a perfect example of scoffing and mocking by a sitting United States congressman whose response to a sitting United States senator and a fellow congressman who had offered up their prayers for the people of Uvalde and the tragedy they were facing and praying that God would would mobilize his church in in that city so that they could render aid to those who had been bereft of their of their children and in some cases, a husband or a wife. And this congressman's response to that was to profanely mock the idea that prayer would make any difference. If you want to see a picture of what mockery looks like in the Bible, take a look at the end of chapter 1 in the book of Romans. Because not only now does that person participate in all the behaviors that are mentioned there, but they encourage other people to do the same thing. That's mocking. It's to deride. It's to scoff at that which you and I hold sacred. That's not to characterize our life. So they're on this downward spiral of sin. And and before we leave this, let's be very clear that you and I, even as godly people, can sometimes find ourselves in a downward spiral. Amen? Lot, in the Old Testament, when he and Abram, because of the size of their flocks, Abram said to his nephew, you choose. You choose where we go because the the, the land here is not going to support both of us. So Lot lifted up his eyes and he saw the well-watered, fertile plains of Sodom. And he began to move in that direction. And then in chapter 14, we find that he has not only moved his flocks into that well-watered plain, but he's now found what? Living in Sodom. And the Bible clearly says in the book of Peter that Lot was a righteous man, but he made poor what? He made poor choices. And how about our friend Peter? I will never, ever forsake you. I will never sell you out, Jesus. 
I'm willing to die with you. And you remember Jesus. Tonight, you're going to deny me three times. And as Jesus is arrested and then taken to the courtyard where that mockery of justice began and the agony of crucifixion began, what do we find Peter doing? We find Peter walking into the courtyard, standing and beginning to talk to the people around. And the first of the denials come. You, you were with him. I don't know what you're talking about. And then how do we find the story end? Peter is sitting by the fire. Surely you were with him. I have no idea what you're talking about. A godly man who got caught up in what? A downward spiral decisions. And notice too, as we look at this picture back into verse four, not so the wicked, they are like what? Chaff. Chaff is the, the unusable portion of wheat. What would happen during the harvest, you would take the, the grain up to a high place where the wind would, you would shake the, the chaff and, the, and the, the part of that wheat which was not viable and not going to be productive would be blown away. What we have here in verse 4 is a picture of someone who has no root no permanency, no true foundation. And again, lest we think that that cannot characterize the church of Jesus Christ, in the latter days, the Bible says that many will fall away from their faith, wanting to have their ears tickled by the doctrine of demons who will be blown away by every wind of doctrine. Why? Because their delight is not in the word of the Lord. There's no permanence. There's no, there's no firm foundation. There's no fruit that comes from this individual. All right, now this is not on the slide, so if you've got your Bibles, I want you to turn over with me to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, which is the close of what we call the Sermon on the Mount. It is, if you will, in verses 13 through the remainder of the chapter, at least through verse 27, it is a brilliant piece of writing whereby Matthew begins to compare and contrast with two trees, two types of fruit, two types of foundation, two types of builders, and two types of profession. But I want you to stick with me in verses just 13 and 14. I want you to notice this is where that second takeaway begins to become so paramount today. What we delight in directs our life, but what we delight in also provides discernment for the living of our life and the making of choices. Watch this now, verse 13. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Now, if you just step back from that text for a moment, there's a salvation text there, is it or not? Narrow is the what? Gate. 
Narrow is the gate. There's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, 1 Timothy 2.5. I am the way, truth, life. No one comes to the Father but through me, John 14. Jesus said in John chapter 10, I am the gate. In other words, there is in verse 13 this picture of salvation, that the way to salvation is a, the entrance to salvation must be and can only be through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Amen? It must and only be. But I'm going to tell you something at 66, staring hard at 67. That narrow gate that lies before me right now, at my age, is not getting broader. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm at the point in my life where I might be able to say, well, now, Lord, give me some, give me some grace here. Right? And in fact, the gate not so much of my salvation, but my ongoing sanctification, the way in which Jesus is making me look more and more like him, is not so much that there is the broad, it's the more narrow. Because verse 14 says that, or the end of verse 13 says, wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it many but small is the gate narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it Uh, if you've been here with me uh, as the pastor tim and pastor kelly have allowed me to have the pulpit several times in the last couple of months you'll know that my undergraduate degree was was in uh, speech and english and i i love to read reading is my favorite indoor sport amen Reading is my favorite outdoor sport, amen? Because when you're an Angel fan, there's no hope. <laughs> but the reason I, I want to have this before us is there is this sense in which as you and I get older, The choices may not be as many, but they may be more difficult. And we need discernment, amen? And the only way that we're going to get discernment is through knowing what the Word of God says. And notice, many enter through the broad gate, but few, only a few find it. I'll tell you something, though, dear ones. You and I have to be about a passionate prayer and concern and and sharing of the gospel so that those who have been marked out since the very foundation of the world find the narrow gate. How does this... How does this end? Well, remember me saying to you that I was, a, I was an American lit student. And most of you know Robert Frost, and most of you know that the most famous poem that Robert Frost ever wrote was The Road Not Taken. And in that poem is this great line. Two roads diverged into a wood, And I, I took the one less traveled by, 
and that has made all the difference. Here's that fork in the road, dear ones. And this one may look really attractive. It might cater to my pride. It might cater to my desire for the kingdom of thingdom. It might cater to my desire for popularity and prestige. But this is the road that leads to life. Dante, in his wonderful work, Divine Comedy, in the Middle Ages, noticed a totally different perspective. Midway this life we're bound upon, I woke to find myself in a dark wood where the right road was wholly lost and gone. Can I tell you something about God's grace today? You are never beyond the reach of God's grace. And, and maybe there's just somebody here today who thinks they're too far gone. May I tell you with all the passion I can summon up, you're still breathing, you're not too far gone. It may be dark and you may be lost and Jesus is the light of the world and he's looking for you. And finally, we have the, the two destinations in Psalm 1, verses 5 and 6. And I don't want to spend too much time there because I want to begin to make some application, but let's read it. Therefore, the wicked who chose to stand with the wrong company in their life will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way, the path of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. So what will we do the last few minutes? What, what are we going to take away from this? Just to reiterate, delight provides direction. Whatever it is I delight in, is going to be that which I follow and is that which I pursue. And if I delight in the law of the Lord, if I delight in the word of God, if my delight is in scripture, if my delight is opening up my Bible and saying this to the Lord, speak, Lord, because your servant is listening. Open my eyes, God, that I might see wondrous things in your word. If that becomes the delight of my life, it's going to provide the discernment I need for the living of my days and the decisions that I still need to make. We are in the world, but we're not of it. Separation is not isolation. Contact can be done without contamination. I can be in contact with many things, but that doesn't mean it has to attach itself to me. Right? And I, I think we need to understand that we can't go out of the world. The monastic life does not work. It just, if, if, if all of us pulled out of Dodge, amen, <laughs> to use the Western analogy, if all of us got out of Dodge 
And we wanted to find some place where there wasn't as much conflict and there wasn't as much strife and there wasn't as much stress and there wasn't as much struggle and there wasn't as much trial and there wasn't as much trouble. The problem is you're there and there's going to be that. We just can't pull ourselves away from the culture and preach from a distance. We got to be rubbing shoulders with people and talking to them and talking to them in a way that that makes them not just so much understand, but that we have sought to understand them. But that doesn't mean we have to be contaminated, tainted, spotted by their values and their behavior. The life of meditation upon the word of the Lord. Meditation is to you and I what digestion is to the body. Can I just make it as, as clear as that? That's what meditation is. It's used 20 times in Scripture, 14 times in the book of, Proverbs, in the book of Psalms, where we read later on in the book of Psalms that, that your, your word is my food all day. It's not simply reading a chapter and checking it off. It's thinking about what you've read, thinking about the implications of what it means, thinking about how it is that I can live out what it is God has called me to do with that. It's very simply just taking the text with you. And then as I said a prosperity in verse 3, the one who is said to be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, whose leaf does not wither, and in due season he always produces fruit. That fruit has nothing to do in this text with economics. It has to do with the fulfillment of the purposes God has brought into your life for you. It has the idea of the goals that God has set for you being realized. I was talking to a friend of mine the other day, and and he's actually a worship leader at a church down in Orange County, and he asked if I was teaching up here yet. And I said, well, there's there's a few Sundays I've been in the pulpit. And he says, man, you can take the man out of the county, but you can't take the man out of his call. My call is to teach the word of God. And I intend to teach the word of God until such point as there's no more breath in my body. So teach the word of the Lord. And, and to that end, I prosper. Amen? Amen? In all labor, the Bible says there's profit. I'm able to enjoy what I do. You, you guys, I, I cannot tell you how much I wanted to be with you last week. I cannot tell you how difficult it was for me for the last couple of weeks to sit isolated from my wife and isolated from my father because we all had COVID together. Isn't it wonderful? The family that gets COVID together is isolated from one another, right? And every, every, every fabric of my being wanted to be with you. But hopefully the fruit of all these hours of looking at Psalm 1 
has brought some hope and some light into your life today. You're secure in your relationship to God. Before he died, the apostle Paul wrote this, I know in whom I have believed, and I am confident that he is able to be entrusted with that which I have given to him. I'm confident in whom I believed because my delight is in the law of the Lord. And here's the last one. Ever-increasing awareness of God's work and will for your life. You're not, you're not done yet, amen? In fact, I just want to ask one question before we, we pray. How many of you in the last six months have sensed that the Lord was about to do something new in you or through you? Wow, look at those hands. Because you're like a tree, what? Firmly planted by streams of water. And he's doing something new in you. Right? Maybe something you've never envisioned. Maybe something you, you never thought of. Maybe something you never prepared for. Maybe something you never studied to do, to learn how to do. And God said, I got something new for you. Jesus, thank you for your word. And thank you, God, that it is your will for us that your work within us would produce through us fruit for your kingdom. The fruit of a changed character and a changed conduct. The fruit of souls won into the kingdom of God because of our willingness to simply share what Jesus has done for us with another. The way in which we spend our money to advance the purposes of God. You declare that to be a fruit that you bring forth out of our life. Our good works and our service, you declare that to be fruit that comes out of our life. And as we began this service this morning, as our dear brother led us and his team led us in worship, the praise that comes out of our lips, Jesus, you have declared that to be the fruit that you're bringing forth from our life. We are so short-sighted if we think that the fruit of our life is always going to be measured by something that we see. When, Father, we will not even know until we get to heaven how much fruit you have produced in us and through us to bless people we're not even aware of. God, I pray for this congregation. I pray for its pastoral team. I pray for all of us, God, who have the privilege of being a part of Santa Maria Foursquare. That when we would be described, we would be described as people whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And because that delight directs us, it provides us discernment to make right choices. 
and thereby grow stronger in our faith, more mature in our faith, more loving and more understanding of others. Come thy kingdom upon this congregation. Be done thy perfect will in their lives as couples, as individuals, as families, as singles, as those a little long in the tooth like me and those just kind of starting to make their way, Jesus. Bless your people. Bless your people in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. All right, there's going to be a group of people up here to pray with you. I certainly want to thank you for your rapt attention today. Thanks for praying for me. Thanks, Gary. Gary, you're in the house today? Gary, thank you for bringing the word last week. Have a great week. God bless you.